Welcome to podcasts recorded live at the Center for Spiritual Living in Portland, Oregon. Listen past the end of the podcast to find out more about our spiritual center and ways that you may collaborate with us. Happy Sunday, everyone. As many of you who have been here this month know, we're finishing up our work in Pam Grout's excellent book. In fact, it was on the New York Times bestseller list uh, called E-Squared, and it's a series of science experiments designed to prove that our thoughts actually become things, that our thoughts are creative in the world. Well, we're down to like the last one. Can you believe it? The month has gone quickly. I'll tell you what it is. But I want to do a lead up to it as well. So the last principle we're going to learn, she calls loaves and fishes. And you can imagine what loaves and fishes is about. But see, I think we have a little trouble with this. Here we are in a science of mind community. We already know that the universe has infinite abundance. We, we already know that our thoughts are creative. I mean, this, uh, the reason this, I think, was a New York Times bestseller is most of the nation doesn't have that experience that we have. I'm a little worried that even though we know it, we can't accept it. And I want to use a a story, if you're willing, from when I was seven years old to help illustrate this. So, seven-year-old Larry, off to one of his very first birthday parties, right? It's like, I was so darned excited. And, and uh, you know, it was cake and presents. And there were probably about 12 or 13 kids there. And just, just the delight that children have in being together over the silliest reasons and, and, and the silliest things. I mean, I can still remember it. But also I remember something that wasn't quite so pleasant. As with many birthday parties during that era, there were the party games afterwards. Do you remember some of those party games like pin the tail on the donkey? And well, well, this was my first experience of musical chairs. And so they set up 12 or 13 or however many kids, uh, uh, chairs in a circle, and one of the moms explained how it worked. And and of course, you know, I'm like, this is new to me. It just sounds fun. We're going to kind of run around the circle with music, and what fun it's going to be, right? And and so we ran around the circle, and the music stopped, and everybody sat down except me. (laughs) And And I went, oh, that's right. There aren't enough chairs to go around. And it hadn't occurred to me until that very instant that when you lose out in musical chairs, not only do you lose out, but you get to kind of stand in the corner for another 25 minutes (laughs) while one by one children are proven not worthy of even a chair to sit in, right? (laughs) And, And I gotta tell you, I think... As children and adults, we get those kind of messages all the time, don't we? We get the messages that there's not enough money to go around. We get the messages that you have to be a little pushy if you want to be able to sit down at the table. We get the message that might makes right and that in order to be uh, successful, you probably have to be kind of aggressive in a way. We get the message that there's never quite enough And that if you want even your share of it, you better be on the ball. And if you're not on the ball, if you're not a winner, by definition, what are you? 
you're a loser. I mean, I was uh, uh, watching on television the other day. They're getting ready for another year of America's Got Talent, right? And, and so they were showing the auditions. And I guess I, I mean, I don't watch very much TV. And so uh, probably you all know this, but, but they actually have auditions in four or five different places throughout the country. And thousands of people pay money to, to travel there and stay overnight in hotels so that they have a shot at being on America's Got Talent. And so in the, uh, you know, in the little promo part of it while they were showing this, of course they highlighted some of the people who really shouldn't have bothered. I mean, <laughs> it's, it's like they would have been great as comedy acts, but that wasn't where they were going. Do you know what I mean? So some of them, you know, they highlight people that really have mis mismatched their, their calling to be on a show like that. And that makes sense, and it's kind of funny, although you sort of feel like how awkward for them. They probably thought they were talented. But it wasn't so much them. It was the thousands and thousands and thousands of people that actually had a good degree of talent. People that you would say, oh my God, she sings like a bird. They didn't get on the show. They weren't the cream of 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 the 10 people out of 40,000 people who applied that get on the show. It's like musical chairs for adults. I think we get these messages nearly every day of our lives that there's not enough, that you're not, that we're not enough, that no matter how hard we try or, or, or how much we uh, receive in life, no matter how much uh, goodness we observe and draw to us, that something is still missing, that, that the music has stopped and unless I just scramble really hard, I'm not gonna have a place to sit down. There's not gonna be enough for me. One of the mistakes that happens in a science of mind community like here, like when we hear the loaves and fishes principle, we think it's about getting more stuff, that we can use spiritual principles to fill that perceived hole so that there will always be a chair for me. I'll order six, right? So that I never have to worry about another meal. We'll, we'll have the pantry filled with a a year's worth of emergency supplies. So, so that I recognize I'm safe in my own home, we'll have burglar alarms and nine locks and, and we'll call the police now and then to see if they'll patrol the neighborhood. And do you see, it's, it's like we kind of cover up for a feeling that may or may not even be real by getting more stuff and more security and more ways of being in the world. And I gotta tell you, we can pray for that and we can pray for that and we'll actually get it. But will we ever be satisfied? As long as the music is playing in my head and I think that there may not be a chair for me, there won't be a chair for me. And it doesn't matter whether I order 100 chairs. Maybe I'll just take home all of these chairs tonight, right? And then the music, no matter how suddenly it stops, there'll be one handy. But you see the trouble, when we pray for a feeling of lack to be filled up, 
we're focusing on the lack. We're focusing on the thing that's missing. And yes, yes, we can pray for more chairs. We can pray for better jobs and, and new relationships. We can pray for more money. We can, and we may even get them. In fact, if we do a good job of praying, we're likely to get them. And what's going to happen? We're highlighting what's missing, so we'll get to look forward to more things that are missing. We'll highlight that, that hole. We'll, 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 the new job won't be enough. The, the new girlfriend won't be nice enough. Do you know what I mean? It's like we'll just, we'll kind of move up on the next step of the ladder of wanting. And when you're on the ladder of wanting, I gotta tell you, it's a long way up because they keep adding more rungs. So today when we talk about the principle that Pam Grout in her book calls Loaves and Fishes, we're going to take a little bit of a different tactic. And in particular, I want you to pay attention to the idea, is this about getting more or is this about attracting sufficiency? Do you see the difference? To someone who's very rich, they may still feel poor. It isn't about the quantity. It's about the sense of it. It's about the understanding that I am enough. I have enough. I am on America's Got Talent, right? Because it doesn't matter whether I make it to the show or not. <laughs> Life is America's Got Talent, and you all got it. But do you feel it? Do you sense it? Do you feel in your own skin that you're lovable and capable and that there's enough for you? That, I think, is the key. So on to loaves and fishes. First of all, I don't know how I managed to do this, but I actually found a joke about <laughs> loaves. And I know, how does he do it? I don't know. Anyway, so a father was talking to his eight-year-old son about Jesus. He was explaining the miracle of the loaves and fishes. You know how Jesus fell the multitude. And the boy said, at school, we have home economics, and I learned that it's just not possible to slice five loaves of bread and two fishes thin enough to feed 5,000 people. Now, the only way you could maybe do that would be with a ceramic knife or maybe some kind of a laser, and I know that Jesus didn't have them. And besides, said the boy, how would you say he fed the multitude? Now, even if you could th cut things that thinly, it would hardly be considered a meal, and they wouldn't have had really much to eat at all. And what about vegans or people not eating gluten? They, <laughs> they would have been completely hungry. Well, the father, feeling like the entire innocence of his son was at stake, just had to ask one more question. Well. If Jesus and the miracles are out, what about Christmas? What about Santa Claus? Oh, said the boy, I'd like an electric train and an iPad. <laughs> do you see, it more has to do with our belief in things and not the things. So loaves and fishes. It's interesting, Pam Grout has been a little stingy in her spirituality. She uh, professes that this is a scientific book, and, I, and of course we've been having fun with that, and of course it totally fits in with the spirituality that we teach here. This time though, she actually used a biblical reference in terms of loaves and fishes, and so I wanted to share that with you. It's probably been 
a long time since you've actually heard from Matthew 14 where Jesus feeds the thousands. And so I wanted to just share it with you. This is from the New International Version. If it, if it sounds a little more up-to-date than King James, that's why. So Jesus withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. But hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from the towns. When Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd, and he had compassion for them. He healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, You know, this is a remote place, and it's already getting quite late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, said Jesus, and he directed the people to sit down on the grass. Taking the five loaves and the two fish and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate, and all were satisfied. And the disciples picked up twelve basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000. What's interesting to me about this is this is one of the stories in the Bible that's, that's in, uh, it's in four different chapters. It's like not one of those just, you know, the kind of an isolated story of, of Jesus doing a healing or something like that. Uh, all four of the Gospels have the same story. Three of the Gospels even have another very similar story where Jesus serves uh, 4,000 people. Clearly, this was something that the writers of the Bible wanted us to be clear about. And what I think is interesting is my impression from Sunday school when I was a kid was that somehow Jesus multiplied them, that Jesus saw that there was a lack. And so Jesus, you know, somehow, you know, magically through the power of his connection to God or however you want to look at it, created more bread for everyone. That's not actually what it says. It says, he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking the five loaves and the two fishes and looking up to heaven, he gave thanks and broke the bread. And all were satisfied. So to me, this isn't about seeing a lack and trying to pray for something to fill it, but rather a story about sufficiency and a prayer of gratitude. Do you know what I mean? It's really, uh, he was able to feed them not because somehow he had the gift of, you know, multiplying the loaves, but rather he had the gift of clearly knowing in his own mind that all would be satisfied. It doesn't even tell really how it happened because that's not the important part. The important part is his level of faith in knowing that everyone would be satisfied on that day and his gratitude in knowing that it was completely going to happen. His gratitude to God, the supplier uh, of all goods and materials. And so when Pam Grout 
talks about this idea of, of the loaves and fishes principle, it too isn't about just praying for more of what you could use in life, right? And we do that fairly often, I think. We pray for our sore leg to get better. We, we pray for our job that's low pay to maybe be a higher pay. We, we pray from that position of feeling the lack, of feeling that the musical chairs game has gone on and, and you're temporarily without a chair. And we, so then we pray for the chair. We pray for the relationship. We pray for more money. We pray for the better car. We pray for the things we're missing. That's not how this principle works. Instead, praying for the sufficiency that we already have will bring more good into our lives. A little bit different take, don't you think? And so you might say to yourself, well, well, how does this work then? How can we get off that little game of not enough? Because it really is endemic, you know? Every TV commercial that you've ever seen in your life says you're missing something important. You need to go out and buy it. You need to get it, right? You, you don't smell good. You don't look good. You weigh too much. You weigh too little. Your eyebrows aren't long enough. I, don't, I mean, I'm astounded anymore on TV with what they say I don't have that I should have. Sometimes I just go, really? I mean, sometimes they don't even know. Sometimes they say, well, you better ask your doctor even if it's right for you, right? <laughs> They're not even sure that you need it. Because the whole job, in a way, of modern society is to convince you something's missing, something's lacking, that you're not America's Got Talent. But if you just sign up for these seven singing lessons, then you'll have the talent. If you, if you just lose 50 pounds, then you can be the next top American model or what, you know, all the just the craziness out there. And the hard part of loaves and fishes is we have to put all, all of that aside and start by saying, my life is darn good as it is. You know, praise to heaven. Praise life for the goodness I have. And when I focus on that praise, when I focus on my gratitude, the universe rushes in to give me more. Oh, this is what makes him happy. This, right? When we pray the other way, the universe has this sense, well, he wants to be unhappy. He wants to, he's focusing on that thing that's missing. So let's give him more of that missing feeling. Let's give him that, that, no, it's true. It's true. And so when we focus on feeling full, then we're not hungry. When we focus on feeling that our life is in pretty, darn good shape, then there's more of it that comes our way. Now, I want to make a suggestion, and, and in fact, it is the final of the science experiments that are in here, and I want to cover it with you, uh, but I also have a, a little tip. So the final science experiments is uh, right in the back of the book or, or on notebook paper, a date and a time, and, and once you start this experiment, you're going to take a little journal or a notepad or something along with you, and you are going to chronicle everything in your life that's good. You're going to chronicle how great your car is. You're going to chronicle how useful it was to ride on the bus today. You're going to chronicle the, the sweet telephone message that someone left you. You're going to chronicle how useful the carpet is to keep your feet warm. You're going to chronicle how snugly you feel in your bed. You're going to chronicle somewhat exhaustively how good your life is. And then at the end of 48 hours, 
The real test, now you might think, well, gosh, that's a lot of work. That's not even really the test. That's not even really the experiment. That's setting you up for the experiment. The experiment is, 48 hours later, how do you feel about your life? Do you feel richer? Do you feel more love? Do you feel like your sense of being welcomed into the universe has expanded a little bit? So that's your science experiment for this week. But I want to give you a tip. And uh, this occurred to me when I was uh, 19 years old and endlessly going through college, as uh, my mother would tell you, what, another major? You're kidding me. And uh, so for a while, I was a, I was a forestry major and a botany uh, minor. And one of the things we had to do was do a, a, a grid of species. And so they took us up into the Olympic National uh, Forest uh, up in Washington. And each of the students in that class got a 10 by 10 meter grid. So, so picture about the size of, of our sanctuary here, only square. And they said, your job is to document every living species in this 10 by 10 meter grid. Well, of course, I'm 19 and I'm like, well, you got a dug fur there and you got a few sword ferns over there and there's salal, of course, and I think that's a deer fern there. I'll blow through this and, you know, I'll probably be done tomorrow. And so then the leader of our little encampment comes up and says, and here's your tool. And he hands me a magnifying glass. (laughs) And much to my surprise, at the end of two weeks, I was still working on it. I had found over 350 different species of plants in my 10 by 10 grid, and when the two weeks was over, uh, someone else had to finish out for me. I was near, I was close, I was near the end of it. Now see, the reason I bring up this story is for most of us, when we think about what we're grateful for, we're gonna see the Douglas fir, it'll probably be uh, maybe our family, or maybe our job or our apartment. We're gonna see the five sword ferns, maybe that's our five kids or our five best friends or whatever. And, and we'll even see uh, um, you know, the one deer fern there too. You know, That's my Aunt Susan that's always loved me and she phoned me. And we're gonna miss the other 300, right? We're gonna miss the multitude of good that's in our life. So I would like you, if you really want to do this science experiment well, think of the magnifying glass. Think of all the the small things that happen to you, that present themselves to you, that are part of your life, that are so gosh darn good. I was thinking the other day, one of our sinks in in our house is draining kind of slow, and so it's been bugging me a little bit, and I'm thinking, well, maybe it's in the trap, I could try a snake thing, and I'm not the best at those kinds of things, but I sort of have at least an idea of what I would do, and it occurred to me last night, what about the other five sinks we have in our house, right? I'm focusing on the one that's draining slowly. Why am I doing that? I think it's natural, right? It's the missing chair. It's the thing that's poking its little head up as being wrong. But I'm really, when I do that, 
I'm doing myself a disservice. Of course, add it to the list, uh, the honeydew list. You know, even if you're the honey, go ahead and, and uh, even, if, even if it's you that's going to fix it, add it to the list. But let's not spend any time on it. Let's not spend time thinking about the things that are going wrong or they're missing. Let us spend the time on the things that are going well. Let us celebrate the sufficiency and the sweetness, the, the love and the goods that are in our life. Because what I know is what we focus on attracts more. What we spend our attention on grows. And so if I, if I spend my attention on feeling satisfied with my life, if I put my attention on the, the love and the sweetness of my friends, oh my gosh, my life so fills up with good. So you got your homework for next week? 48 hours, you're gonna write down all of the good things going on in your life, and then at the end of 48 hours, just do a simple test in your own heart. Say, do I feel more abundant? Do I feel more loved? Is my life a little richer for having paid more attention to what is going right? I'm gonna close uh, the book the way that Pam Grout closes the book. Uh, This is her final words on this idea uh, of the loaves and fishes principle. She says, we live in a big bounteous universe, and if we can just get over this unfounded fear of not enough or of missing out, we can stop hoarding resources and free up our energy to make sure that the entire planet is covered. Right now, with the resources already at your disposal, you can begin to recognize and lead a rich and meaningful life. Let us pray. There is one power and one presence. There is one good, one life. It is the infinity, of course, of all things. The infinity of the night sky, the infinity of distances when we view a mountain. It is the infinity of people and goods and life. It is the universe itself. I call it God, but whatever it's called by, it simply is all. And I recognize that I'm part of that all, that that part of the good of this universe is me, even as it is all of the people in this room. Each, Each person here, myself included, is an heir to this kingdom. Each person here has the ability to draw to them the complete sufficiency of all of our needs and desires. Each person here can open their heart to look around and see the good that's there to usher in a new, a new environment, a new time in life of love and sufficiency. All we have to do is put aside those, those doubts of not enough, those ideas of not good enough, not perfect enough, not talented enough, not lovely enough, not lovable enough. And when we put aside that nonsense and truly look into our lives, the riches appear. Our lives open up. The, the rose blossoms, the, the sweetness of, and joy of our, our friends are made so apparent. Each person here has that ability to open the heart, to recognize with a, a new set of eyes the goodness that we have. And I'm just grateful for this. I'm grateful for the power and the presence as God as it shows up in, in these spiritual principles, as it shows up in the, in the very people in this room. And in, in gratitude, I let it be. And together we say, 
and so it is. Thank you so much for being here today. So glad you were here. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you happen to be in the Portland, Oregon area, we'd love to have you visit in person. The Portland Center for Spiritual Living is located at 6211 Northeast Martin Luther King Jr. Boulevard. We have inspirational services at 9 and 11 a.m. every Sunday. Our mission is to open hearts, ignite minds, and to make a difference. If you'd like to support our center and its podcasts, you can donate online at www.pcsl.us slash donate. Our website is also the place to learn more about what's going on at the center or to contact us. Allow us to become part of your extended community. Wherever you are on your spiritual journey, you are most welcome at the Center for Spiritual Living.